Hey, and welcome to this podcast by Chestnut Mountain Church, located in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where our mission is to saturate the world by making disciples. We invite you to check out our website at chestnutmountain.org and follow us on social on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at chestnutmtn underscore to learn more about who we are. There are also video episodes located on our YouTube channel, along with other content not on this podcast. This episode features a sermon replay from Sunday's message. Let's take a listen. But today I stand before you with a heavy, heavy heart from a perspective that there's something else that I think we tend to skip over in celebrating. And this may be contradictory to some of us in our mind, but there's one thing that I think we overlook when it comes to celebration. And I think we've gotta get back to a place that as a child of God that we celebrate the conviction of the Holy Spirit. We celebrate when the Holy Spirit combines with the word of God and convicts us. Because I'm thankful that I serve a father who is okay with convicting me because he knows that conviction brings forth closeness with him. And I love it when the Holy Spirit, no, it's no fun in the midst of it. But when that intimacy is gained, when that closeness with God is reconciled, there's something special about it. And so my prayer is today, I really believe today, um, yes, I'm gonna pray that someone comes to know the Lord Jesus Christ today, but I also pray today that today's a message for the church. I believe that today's message has is, is, is got the crosshairs on the children of God who are in the room. Um, but I'm thankful that we serve a God who loves us enough to convict us. It's that simple. And if you've ever read the book of James, if you've ever looked into a study of the book of James, we know that it is full of conviction. The book of James is a tough book. But I often wonder, why is it that when we mention the book of James, you either have those people who will say, man, I love the book of James. It's my favorite book in all the Bible. Or maybe you're that person that you say, you hear a study on the book of James and you're like, Oh no, here we go again. Why is it? Why is it that the book of James seems so tough at times? Well, as I was sitting in my study, I began to look up uh, um, some, some ideas and thoughts of maybe why this is the, the case. Why is it that the book of James tends to be a tough book at times? And I'm gonna butcher this name, but Soren Kierkegaard, a Danish philosopher and theologian, made this statement, and I think some of these statements that I'm gonna share with us will bring clarity as to why oftentimes the book of James seems tough. He said this, the human race in the course of time has taken the liberty to soften and soften Christianity until at last we have contrived to make it exactly the opposite of what it is in the New Testament. In the U.S., Here's another statement. In the U.S., we are happy to go to church just so long nothing in our life has to change. Another one. We're glad to be Christians just so long as we can define Christianity according to what accommodates us. 
Can I remind you right quick that the only one that has the ability to define Christianity and religion is the one who created it? And that's God himself. It's not our place to define it. He's already done that. But lastly, Luther says this, religion that gives nothing, that costs nothing and suffers nothing is worth nothing. I think these are a lot of the statements as to why the book of James can, can tend to be one that's tough. Because as James pens the book of James, what we see is that he defines all throughout this book what true faith, what true religion, and what true Christianity should look like. And the two verses that we're gonna look at are very clear on that. In the book of James chapter one, if you've got your Bible, I want you to go ahead and go there. But James is gonna write about two different type religions today. He's gonna write about a religion that he declares worthless, or some of your Bibles may say useless. And then he's also gonna talk about a religion that is pure and undefiled. And so we're only gonna be looking at these two verses today. But I want you to read with me in James chapter one, verse 26 and 27. If anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless and he deceives himself. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this to look after the orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now keep in mind, James is writing to the 12 tribes that have been dispersed, who are being persecuted as a result of their faith. And just in already in chapter one, one of the issues that we probably need to be aware of that, that maybe the the 12 tribes struggled with, maybe the Christians struggled with, is they couldn't tend to keep their mouths shut. We would be led to believe that they had a problem with their mouth. They had a problem with stating their opinion too much. They just talked too much. And the reason that we can be led to believe that is already in chapter one, we've already heard about it twice. We've already heard be slow to speak, and then today you're gonna hear also, you need to control your tongue. And so we're not gonna talk a lot about it yet because there's a whole section devoted to it in chapter three. And so we know that it's pretty obvious that the children of God at this moment in time had a hard time with keeping their mouth shut. And I can honestly stand before you today and say that if I was one of those in the 12 tribes, this letter would have been to me. This would have been to me. You can ask my wife. However, as I look back on, on my past and as I look back on growing in my faith, you know, as an athlete, an athlete-made coach, one of the hardest things I had to do was learn to keep my mouth shut. And it's hard, because I don't like to lose at checkers. My kids will not beat me. I don't care what it's in. Well, you need to boost their self-esteem. No, I don't. I need to tear it down so I can build it up. They will not beat me. 
So when it comes to coaching, when it comes to participating in sports, I don't like to lose. And this past Monday, I was kind of taken back there. My daughter plays on the eighth grade basketball team and at Cherokee Bluff, and needless to say, things weren't going too well in the game, and I felt that those little guys that wear those black and white stripes, <laughs> I felt like they had a lot to do with that. And I could feel the urge, thinking, okay, that guy in stripes, he wants to know what I think, and so I'm about to tell him. And I could feel my blood pressure rising. I began to sweat. And I thought, okay, I, I've got to make sure that I do something. And now keep in mind, this is on Monday. I'm getting ready to dive in to study this on Tuesday. And so in order to avoid one sin, I participated in another sin. And that sin was, you know, the Bible tells us do not steal I stole from my seven-year-old daughter who had a big old bag of popcorn because I knew the only way I was gonna keep my mouth shut was to keep something in it. And so I literally, I snatched the bag out of her hand. I said, Deacon, give me the popcorn. Daddy, that's mine. I said, I don't care. I need it right now. I don't even like popcorn. It gets stuck all in your teeth. But I knew that this was the only way that I was gonna keep my mouth shut was to keep something in it. And so I've stolen already to avoid the sin of not being able to control my tongue. And a lot of you in the room, I hope, and I pray to the good Lord above, that you would agree with me that apart from the power of the Holy Spirit, the ability to keep our mouth shut oftentimes seems as an impossibility. That it is very, very difficult at times to be quiet. And the sad part is, as James tells us, if you think you're religious, if your opinion about yourself declares you're religious, if you think of yourself as to being a religious person and you can't control your tongue, he tells us, I'm not telling you this, he tells us that that type of religion is worthless and useless. So what does that mean? What he's talking about is the very thing that we unpacked last week. The difference between a hearer and a doer. It's that simple. Because maybe you're here today and, and you every week you sit under the teaching of God's word. Maybe you're in your small group and you hear it over and over. You're coming to church. You're checking a box. But just as we shared last week, you can check all the boxes you want to. But if those boxes being checked doesn't yield transformation, then the salvation that you declare doesn't exist. Because it's not about religion. It's not about checking a box. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's what James wants us to know. He wants people to know that, look, you can check every box you want to. You can come to church as many times as you want to. You can have perfect attendance for as many years as you want to. You can do as many devotions as you want to. But if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, none of those boxes being checked is going to empower you to control your tongue. 
It doesn't matter how many times you come to God's house in this place. If you're not a child of God, no matter how many boxes you check, it will never help you control your tongue. Because you're void of the power that allows us to do that. And that's the power of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you. And James is saying, if you're depending upon checking all those boxes to help you control your mouth, then that type of religion is worthless. That type of religion is useless. Now hear me when I say this, I I speak from experience that I can't keep my mouth shut without the help of popcorn and the Holy Spirit. It's the only way that I can do it. Do I have moments of weakness? 100% I have moments of weakness. I've been a chaplain of a football team before and even ran my mouth at the referees. Sorry, Lester. I know that's not very good with this FCA thing. But I can honestly say because of the spirit living in me, in the moment I blurted things out, Again, thank God for the conviction because I knew that that's not the nature living in me. I know that's not controlling my tongue. I know that's not being slow to speak, but I am so thankful that the Holy Spirit of God is okay with convicting me of my inability apart from him to be able to do it. But I don't want you to ever think that being a religious person will ever empower you to control your tongue. Because apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ, that type of religion of checking boxes is useless. Because when the rubber meets the road and you know that you need to keep your mouth shut, you can't think in your mind, okay, well, I went to church last week, so I hope that helps me. No, it's complete reliance on the spirit that lives in you. It's completely reliant on the one who lives in you. And so James talks about this useless religion. Because oftentimes we think that religion brings forth change when some of the times it's just simply when our mind, it produces behavior modifications. That's not a relationship with Jesus. So James talks about this useless religion and now we're gonna hear him talk about a religion that is pure and undefiled. So what do the words pure and undefiled mean? Those two words are synonymous with one another and they essentially mean the same thing. And there's a difference in the religion, the useless religion that we've talked about and the religion that is that is pure and undefiled. The motives are completely different. The religious work of someone who's doing it out of pure motives and undefiled motives is that one person that does it from a posture of humility, a person who does it with with a clean hands and a pure heart, with undirtied motives. Now, I want you to understand this, though. The acts of worthless religion and the acts of a pure and undefiled religion oftentimes look very similar. 
We can go to church. We can go to small group. We can read our Bible. We can do all of the same things, but at the end of the day, it all goes back to the condition of the heart. Are we performing religion to get something from God or are we performing religion to simply get close to him and be molded into the image of his son? That's the difference in someone whose religion is useless and someone whose religion is pure and undefiled. What are the motives behind your actions? Are you doing it to get something from God or are you doing it because you realize you already have everything in him? That's the difference in the two religions. While the two may look very similar, the one who is performing religious acts out of a place of purity and being undefiled is that person who genuinely wants to be more like Jesus. It's that simple. Because if our motives if our motives are coming from a place of selfishness, that's all it is. Is I'm gonna go to church, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do that, so maybe God will give me something. Maybe God will love me more. When that's completely contrary to the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you already have all of that by faith in his son in the work that his son has accomplished and done. But the motive of the useless and worthless religion, it'll never produce selflessness that we see exemplified through Jesus Christ. when our religion is pure and undefiled, when we're doing it to be close to his son, when we're doing it to be more like Jesus, we realize what Romans 8, 29 says, that we are being conformed into the image of his son. And the more we look like Jesus, the more selfless we become. Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read it very quickly. But Matthew chapter 20, verse 28 Jesus says that Jesus, as the Son of Man, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So the more we become like Christ, the more selfless we become. And the more we become like Christ, the more we serve like Christ. So the product of pure and undefiled religion is someone who becomes selfless. Someone who makes it about everybody else. And that's the next thing that James talks about is the evidence of pure and undefiled religion is what we read in verse 27. He says that if your religion is pure and undefiled, if your motives are pure, then you will look after the orphans and the widows. Now, the context of this is so very important. This is not just some random people group that James has selected. The reason that he is selected and the reason that he brings up the widows and orphans, because in this context, the widows and orphans were the most hopeless and helpless people in culture, the most hopeless and helpless people in society, because their provider, their protector, their life source had been removed. 
And so without the protection and the provider of the one to look after them, they were declared hopeless and helpless. And so James is saying, if you are selfless, these will the people that you will be attracted to, those that are helpless and hopeless. And so that's very important for us to understand because I believe that in our context of the New Testament, while we're always gonna look after the orphans and the widows, I believe our territory is expanded more so that we need to be focused on all of those that are helpless and hopeless. And the reason that we focus on those that are helpless and hopeless from a place of being pure and undefiled is because we understand what it was once like to be helpless and hopeless. Because once we were hopeless, Christ revealed himself and came after us and provided hope. And once we were helpless, Jesus Christ pursued a relationship with us. And in that reality, we found help. And so we provide hope for the hopeless, help for the helpless, not so that we can earn God's love, but we provide hope for the hopeless and help for the helpless because we understand God's love because he's taken us from that place of hopelessness and he's given us hope. He's taken us from the place of helplessness and he's been our help. And if we have experienced that, if we have grown in that, then how dare we not extend that to the hopeless and the helpless? We know what it's like to be without it. And this is the product. This is the fruit of pure and undefiled religion is that when we have eyes to see the people the way that Jesus does. And now look, I'm honestly not gonna spend a whole lot of time on that today because you get that in chapter two as well. But what I wanna ask you to do is then, look, I know that's Thanksgiving this week. Some of you may be going to work a little bit, but you're gonna be around your family this week who a lot of them you don't like. Can we just say that in the room? You dread this week as a result of somebody that you gotta eat turkey with. What I wanna ask you to do in light of what James is talking about, will you be humble enough to pray and say, God, help me see them the way that you do. God, give me your eyes because the Bible tells us that when Jesus saw the people, he had what on them? Compassion. What would it look like as a child of God if you go sit beside that person that you don't like at the Thanksgiving table instead of tilting your chair just a little bit this way so you don't have to engage? What if you said, God, I was once hopeless and helpless, but you've given me life. And so God, this person I don't like beside me God, help me see them the way that you do. And just allow the Holy Spirit of God to shift your chair back the other way. Now, I'm not saying get in their lap and all get weird with them. <laughs> but love them right where they're at. That's the product of pure and undefiled religion is to see people the way that Jesus saw you. And then the last thing that I want us to mention is probably the toughest. 
a product of pure and undefiled religion is to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now, it's funny how God will often give me things that I can relate to this. And and this past week, it came at the expense of my father-in-law. At the same basketball game on Monday afternoon, I was so um, (laughs) upset with those guys in the black and white striped shirt that I didn't pay attention to the reality of what was going on. You see, Easton, my two-year-old, was standing between my knees as I was sitting on the bleachers, and I had no idea that Easton had some sort of chocolate bar in his hand. My father-in-law was sitting directly in front of us with a white T-shirt on. (laughs) And before it was entirely too late, I looked down, and where Easton was just moving his hands everywhere, Jim's shoulder was completely covered in chocolate. And I was like... (sighs) I can't get up and move now. And while I was sitting there looking at Jim, again, I was so distracted by what I was angry about, the left leg of my blue jeans was in the same condition as his white shirt. Now, that was a result of being stained by something that we weren't even aware of because we were so distracted by the things of of the world, we were stained by the things of the world. And so when we look at that, I know that is, that is a very simple way to understand, but, but as Easton had stained our shirt and stained our pants, once I noticed that the stains were there, it was ultimately too late. Jim's shirt was the evidence of that. My blue jeans was the evidence of that. However, there were some things that we could have done that could have avoided getting the shirt stained and the blue jeans stained. But in order to avoid the stains, it would have taken some work. If I'd have been aware, I could have taken the chocolate out of his hand. I could have got up, as I probably should have, and moved to another seat. If Jim would have been aware, Jim could have got up and moved to another seat. There's a lot of things that we could have done to avoid the stains And that's what you have to understand that James is talking about. He doesn't tell us that if your religion is pure and undefiled, that you will be unstained by the things of the world. But he said, you're gonna have to keep unstained. That word keep is very important because it means a regular and a continuous action that we're gonna have to put forth effort so that we aren't stained by the things of the world. Now understand That praise be unto God as a result of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, we are washed whiter than snow. We are redeemed by the blood of the lamb. However, as a result of the enemy's attack and a result of our fleshly desire, the world is still having the ability to get us a little bit dirty. And we're gonna be drawn to that. But what James wants us to understand is that as a child of God, in the purity of your salvation, you're still gonna have to put forth the effort so the world doesn't stain you. You're gonna have to put forth the effort so that a lost world can tell a difference in a redeemed child of God than someone who doesn't have a relationship with him. You're gonna have to be disciplined in that. You're gonna have to keep working at that. 
And that's something that we don't like to talk about a lot. Because remember what we talked about a moment ago? Yeah, I'll declare to be a Christian as long as I get to define what it is. I'll go to church just so long I don't have to change anything about the way I'm living. Now you see why the book of James is tough. It's completely contrary to what the world tells us. It's completely contrary to what the media tells us. And so James has already mentioned two ways indirectly that were stained by the world. We're stained by the world if we can't control our tongue. And we're also stained by the world if we don't look after the widows and the orphans or the hopeless and the helpless. So as he talks about those two things, I wanna make you very aware that what James is teaching is completely contrary to what the world teaches. You see, James says, be slow to speak. James also says to control your tongue. You know the world advocates for the exact opposite. The world advocates, instead of being slow to speak, the world tells you to hurry up and let everybody know. And I'm gonna get on my little social media kick here for just a minute. Because for some reason, this platform has given the church the inability to control your tongue. Because the world is telling us everybody wants to know your opinion. The world is telling us everybody wants to know what you have to say. I wanna break your heart very softly and just simply tell you honestly, no one cares about your opinion as much as you do. Nobody wants to hear your opinion as much as you want to hear yourself say it. So as the church, shut up. Can I say that in church? That's pretty bad, ain't it? Control your tongue. You're ruining your testimony because you want to get in every little argument on social media. Do you know how much drama would be avoided if you learned to control your tongue? Do you know how much drama you would avoid? Listen to me, if you would ignore the people who can't. When they can't control their tongue, just ignore them. Can I go ahead and tell you, that puts heaps of coal on their head anyway. They wanna get a rise out of you and you and you don't give them what they want, they get madder. Just ignore the ones that are not slow to speak and the ones that can't control their tongue and just laugh and unfollow them with letting them know you unfollowed them. See all you little cowards, unfollow without letting them know. I don't even know what that thing is, but, but the world is telling us the exact opposite of what James is telling us. Be slow to speak, be quick to listen and control your tongue because you understand that when our tongue is out of control, when our mouth is not controlled, you know it's coming from a place of selfishness, which is completely contrary to who we're being molded into the image of. 
When we think our opinion needs to be heard, it's coming from a place of selflessness. And when we can't control our tongues, it's evidence of our selfish hearts. It's the signs of a stained world. But then also the world is teaching you the most important thing in life is you. Newsflash, that's a lie from the pits of hell. The most important thing in life is not you. It's those that are helpless and hopeless. It's those widows and orphans. And when we're so self-absorbed with our selfish desires and our selfish heart, we fail to see those who are hopeless and helpless. And so that's the simple facts of what James is teaching us. That someone of selfishness is contrary to the life that Christ exemplified for us. So according to James, we as a child of God, we've got to keep. Remember, that's constant effort. We've got to keep the mind and the heart of Christ. That's regular and continuous action. So Brian, how is that applicable? How can I keep regular and continuous action to make sure that I'm keeping in this Christ-like mindset. Luke chapter nine, verse 23. If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. That word daily is the game changer. This is something that we have to do daily. We have to die to our selfishness every day to be made selfless. This is the way that we keep walking the ways that Christ has taught us and wants us to live. Is we have to wake up every single day and surrender and say, God, today is not about me. Because God, it was never about you. And then I love what Galatians 5 says. I love when you see the same language used in Scripture. Galatians chapter 5, verse 24 through 25. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also, what? Keep in step with the Spirit. Let us keep this regular, continuous action. And so this morning, the question that I've got to ask you as a child of God, are you keeping in motion to walk like, to act like, and to look like Jesus?
And so in response today, there's probably some of you in here, not, not, not probably, there are some of you in here today that you are hanging your hat on religious acts to make God love you. And I want you to know today that those acts, that that religion, if you're doing it in an attempt to earn God's love, can I tell you that it's useless and it's worthless? One scholar, he said this about this type of religion that's useless and worthless. He said that it's man's attempt to relink himself back to God by checking all the boxes. That religion is useless. That religion is worthless. That religion will get you nowhere because all of those checking the boxes will never yield the transformation that comes by way of the Holy Spirit living in you. And so today, there's no doubt in my mind that there's somebody in here that, that you've depended upon religious acts to please God. From experience, I just wanna tell you that that's exhausting and that's a hopeless place to be. Because the Bible says that your righteousness, your good works are as filthy rags in comparison to who God is. In comparison to the life that Jesus lived. And so today my prayer is that you would repent of those religious acts and say, God, today I just wanna trust in the finished work of what your son has done for me. And the Bible says that you will be made new. You will be washed whiter than snow, not because you fixed it all, but because Jesus has already accomplished it all. But as I said earlier, you know, I believe that verses 26 and 27, James is kind of being very nice from a perspective of just simply talking about these are two ways that, that we go being stained by the world. The inability to control our tongue and the inability to look after those who are helpless and hopeless, but I know without a doubt, I know with personal experience in my own life that there's areas of my life that I am stained by the world daily. And so this is what I've been so burdened by. What would it look like if we as the church repented of those stains? Because a child of God who is stained by the world looks no different than the people who are of the world. And as a child of God, we're called to live a life of redemption. You don't hear that a lot anymore, but we are called and commanded by God to pursue holiness and righteousness. But instead, we'd still wanna just play in the mud because that's part of that reality of defining religion on our own. We wanna live under the banner of grace. Oh, well, I can participate in this because I know God will forgive me. While that is true, as a child of God, the supernatural transformation transforms those desires to where you wanna pursue holiness and righteousness. And when you're walking in one with Christ, 
The moment you're stained, you become so heavy and convicted that you repent and you say, God, I'm sorry. And so this morning, my prayer has been for the church. Yeah, we're always gonna open the invitation for salvation. And I believe there's someone here today that if you died today, you would die forever separated from God because you don't have a relationship. And my prayer is today that as the Spirit draws you, you surrender, you repent and believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. But this morning as a child of God, what would it look like if you say, God, what areas of my life are stained by the world. And when you ask that question, I wanna invite you to be quiet. God, where the areas of my life are stained by the world? And then you be quiet. And then listen to the Holy Spirit speak. But then when he convicts and speaks, will you repent? Notice I said repent. I didn't say ask for forgiveness. You've already been forgiven. Simply say, God, I am sorry. Forgive me. But also you're gonna have to forgive me again tonight when I do it again. Forgiveness is not just your grace card to keep going back to the same mess. True repentance is turning and pursuing the things of God, pursuing holiness and righteousness, denying yourself, denying your desires. And that is the ultimate product of a child of God is when we depend upon the Holy Spirit of God to truly repent, to run from. But as the church today, I want us to ask God, God, how has the world stained me? Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you made a decision or if you have any questions about salvation or anything about this Christian journey, one of our pastors would love to connect with you. So to connect and find out what your next steps are, go to our website at chestnutmountain.org slash next steps and there will be a form for you to fill out so one of our pastors can connect with you. We also want you to do three things right now. Number one, leave a review on this podcast. Tell us what you think. And also, a review allows us to reach even more people. Number two, subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already so you don't miss an episode during the week. And number three, we want you to go check out our Chestnut Mountain Church YouTube channel. So maybe there's some visuals in this episode that you couldn't see but wanted to see. And that's why we have video versions of these episodes along with other content not featured on this podcast right now on our YouTube channel. Lastly, we invite you to join us live for worship on Sunday mornings in person at 9 o'clock or 1045 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or online at 1045 as well. 
Learn more about us on our website at chestnutmountain.org. And don't forget to follow us on social at chestnutmtn underscore for more encouragement and to see all what God is doing in and through CMC. We love you, we're praying for you, and we'll see you next time.